meditate on the chorus of that last song we sung, Yet Not I, but Christ Through Me. And that will set us up well for where we are this morning. That as we look at his example of walking in perfection and complete harmony, that we are unable to do that in of ourselves. And so in a sermon where I'm telling you ahead of time, I'm going to lean in here because many of us live our Christian lives inconsistently or even hypocritically. Uh, This is not meant to be a moralistic sermon based on what you can accomplish in and of yourself. We must understand that it is only through Christ and in Christ that we can live lives that are pleasing to the Father. So this morning, as we look at Jesus' ministry, I want to ask our probing question of the morning that's going to kind of carry us through. Is there agreement with my private life and my public life? Am I one person when people are watching, and I know that they're going to respond to my actions and my words, and another when I'm by myself? But more importantly, put another way, is my life before God and my life before people in agreement? Are they in harmony with one another? What about my prayer life? Is my prayer life consistent with my Christian witness? Do I have a prayer life and a Christian witness? We're going to see this morning is that Jesus' entire life was in complete harmony. He was in complete agreement in his time alone when no one was watching, and his time in public when everyone was watching. And what do we seek to learn from this, but also how can we align our lives with Christ through His strength and through His work so that we are pleasing to the Father as He was. So without further ado, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to finish chapter 1 this morning, so I'm going to start reading in verse 35 and finish in verse 45. So as you remember, last week we dealt with a day in the life of Jesus. It was a Sabbath. First thing he did, he got up, went to the synagogue, taught. There's a man with an unclean spirit there. There's this whole big ordeal. There's shouting back and forth. uh, And there's teaching and authority, and everyone is astounded. So much so that after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, everyone comes at sundown once it's acceptable to to go out and wander around, and and, and he's healing people. Um, But yet, in both instances, he would not allow the demons who knew his true identity to speak. And we talked about that, and just briefly to reiterate, everything is according to the time of the Father. Jesus' ministry had to be fulfilled, it had to be continued, and it must find its culmination in the cross. So, those who sought to kill him and expose him could not get their way yet. Only when it was his time and he was ready, so he silenced them. But he's going to continue to teach and to preach and to heal and do signs confirming his teaching. And this is where we find ourselves. But the details that Mark includes, because Mark does not include a lot of details, every detail is very important for us. And so we're going to look at the details of this next day in the life of Jesus here. So picking up in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark... He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord of all creation. God, who can heal and restore the very words of his mouth, the very touch of his hand. And yet we have a man with leprosy who suffered most of his life. We have members of our congregation, many of them, who are hurting and fearful right now. Lord, you are healer. We know you are able. That is never in question. But we submit to your will. Lord, during these trying times, help us to rest in your will and not doubt your ability. Help us to learn from your example here on earth to go before you in prayer early and often that we would find sweet solace in our time with you. Lord, I pray for the effectiveness of your word this morning. The word that your spirit breathed out. That your spirit would work within our minds and our hearts. The spirit of truth. That our minds would be renewed because our hearts have been revived. That we would be pleasing unto you. We would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. That we would stand confidently in the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because it is the power unto salvation for all who believe. For the Jew first and also the Gentile. And in his name we pray. Amen. So much like last week, we've got two sections that seem disconnected. But we're going to see some of the commonalities between the two. And it also supports where we ended off last week, because last week we looked at the demons not being able to speak about this and, um, and his time not fully being revealed, and so it is not time for him to be revealed yet, and so there's going to be some things that don't really make sense. Why would Jesus not embrace the crowds? And why would, would Jesus not want this leper who's healed to go out and tell everyone? We'll, we'll kind of work through those, those things. But really what we're going to see is still early on in Jesus' ministry, he's misunderstood. 
by his disciples and the crowds. They're still looking for something that he is not meant to be in this moment. They're still looking for something temporary. They're still looking for something to solve their problems right now, but there's something greater at stake and something greater going on here. But what we are going to see from beginning to end is that Jesus is consistent and that he is faithful in the will of the Father inwardly as he spends time alone with him in prayer and outwardly as he works according to the Father's time and purpose and not according to the will of man. So let's begin here in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Now it's a desolate place. This is the same word for wilderness that we've seen in the past couple weeks. Now, why is this important? The wilderness comes up a lot in in Mark. And so it is a time of um, testing, but it is really a time of dependence on the Lord. When you're in the wilderness and there is none of the modern comforts of home, you must be dependent on the Lord. It is a time where no one else can come to your aid. You are forced to go before God in prayer. And this is where Jesus went to pray. And if anyone didn't need to pray, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is co-equal with the Father for all eternity. They have perfect communion for all time and forever. Yet in His humanity, He embraced His need for the Father. In His humanity, He spent much time in prayer and way more than is actually recorded in the Gospels. And the gospel writers bring it to our attention often. How often Jesus prayed. We have many of his prayers that are brought to our attention. He even taught his disciples how to pray because this is important. He realized that this is our spiritual connection to the heavens. And he set up this pattern of prayer because one day after his ascension, he would be our mediator. He would teach us how to pray by sending His Spirit, by putting groans within us that we can't even articulate. He knows how important prayer is because right now, this very moment, He sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. He is still praying for us in our weakness. And He set this example from the very beginning of His ministry. And there's also a pattern for Jesus in His ministry. Very early. The Greek here is early in the morning while it was still night. It sounds funny, but it's true. And the timing is important. Because right before that, what did he do the evening before? Look back at verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. An evening full of miraculous healing and exorcisms. What does he do the first morning? Goes before the Lord in prayer. This is very important. After the Lord uses you mightily, after the Lord works with you, before the Lord works in you, what do we do? Go before Him in prayer. This is a beautiful pattern and a beautiful pattern for us. This is the Son of God who spoke the world into existence who walks on water, who multiplied the loaves and the fishes, who just cast out demons, but went before the Father first and foremost. How could we expect to do anything different if this is what Jesus patterned into his life? So, we're only one verse in, and we should already be convicted. 
by the very first line, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. For most of us, myself included, very early while it was still dark is not easy. For many of you, that time doesn't exist. You've never seen it. We'll get up early if we've got to catch an early flight, or if we want to make a day at the beach, or we need to work extra hours at our jobs. But how often will we wake up early to talk to the Father who loves us? How often will we put Him before everything else? How often do we go to Him and thank Him for what He's done in us and doing through us? How often are we woken up with praise and dependence? And the other thing is, how often do we find a desolate place? How easy is it to pray when you're... I've talked to people who say, well, I prayed on my way to work today. That is not fruitful prayer when you're dealing with bad drivers and traffic and everything else. Or, yeah, I prayed in between commercials. I just, you know, muted TV. Or uh, I just stepped away from my phone for two minutes. How often have you gone to a desolate place? How often have you unplugged completely, removed every other distraction, and focused on the Lord and cried out to Him as we saw in Psalm 30 earlier? That is a whole different kind of prayer than one that's a footnote in the midst of your day. Jesus patterned that for us. Going to the wilderness, removing everything that could possibly distract him, everything that he could possibly look to for comfort other than the Lord. Again, we're one verse in, and it's already convicting, starting right here. Then there's another lesson we can learn from this whole pattern. So Jesus goes off to pray. It's early in the morning. But then the response of the disciples is interesting. Because I would assume the response of the disciples is probably would be our response. Look what they do. And Simon and those who are with him search for him. Probably because Jesus was at his house late. Probably woke up before everyone else. They wake up. Where's Jesus? We got to go find him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now this word in 36 for searched, it means to vigorously pursue with kind of a selfish motivation. Like I'm, I'm pursuing you because I need something fulfilled from you. And why did they do it? Look at their motivation. They found him and said, not, hey, we are worried about you. We want to be with you. Can you teach us? No, everyone's looking for you. They're motivated by the crowds. Everyone is looking for you. So what? But how easy is it to think that Jesus should be motivated by what the crowds want? How often do we think, man, all these people can't be wrong. All these people want to find Jesus. That's what's most important. Jesus, you should do what they want. How's that working out for our society? How did that work out at the Tower of Babel? When the crowds came together and said, hey, we got a good idea. Let's make ourselves God and build a tower into heaven. How'd that work out when the crowds gathered outside Mount Sinai and Moses is gone for a couple days and they're building a golden calf and worshiping it? How'd that work out when the crowds who were shouting Hosanna are soon crowding, shouting crucify him? 
in the Bible, the crowds are never a good thing. So I will tell you, nothing has changed. If you are a person who follows the crowds, you should check yourself. And if your motivation is what will please the masses, I will argue it is rarely what is pleasing to Christ. Because instead of seeking Him for who He is and what He has done, you are seeking Him so that the people may be pleased. This is a very thin line because it, 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 it seems noble. Hey, everyone's looking for you. But who are they looking for? The magic man who can heal them and, and, and meet their immediate needs? Or are they looking for the Son of God because He is life itself? I think we know the answer. Because as Jesus responds, sure, I'll do whatever they say, let's go. Right? No. That is not what He says. He says to them, everyone's looking for me? All right, let's go. But notice what he says here. There's, there's an important discipleship lesson that is here in verse 38. And he said to them, let us go. He spent his time with the Lord, but he does not leave his disciples behind. No, his, his role is not to just stay in this, this village and become their local shaman, their local medicine man. But he is to go and preach What does he say here? Let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In discipleship, Jesus brings them with him. Let us go. You are my disciples. Come with me. Forget what the crowds are saying. Your job is to keep your eyes fixed on me. You follow me. What is it to you what they want? And so Jesus gives us a bit of his purpose. This is why I came out. Now this is literally what it says in the Greek. This is why I came out. It's a little weird. It's essentially, this is why I have come. This is why I've come forth. Essentially, this is why I've come from heaven. Why have I come? That I may preach. Look at Jesus' preaching in verse 14, in the same chapter. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news that brings sight to those who are blinded by sin, that releases those who are captive to their own passions. Notice notice he doesn't say, I need to go in other towns and, and heal some more. Notice he doesn't say, I need to go in other towns and be a good moral teacher. So many people try to diminish Jesus as just a healer or just a teacher. By his own admission, this is why I came, to proclaim my kingdom come. To repent and believe. Because the healings and the miracles, those are just the garnish. They are not the main course. They are just, it's like, the parsley on the side that points you to the stake. It's not meant to distract you. It's meant to confirm the message. This is what is most important. The gospel it is, is what is most important. But what happens with selfish, superficial people, like we are all prone to be, they are distracted by the flash. Fix my situation now. Heal me now. Multiply my bread now. He's saying the kingdom is what's most important because it will not pass away. That is what must be proclaimed. 
Luke gives us a little bit more insight into that. If you look at Luke chapter 4. So, in Luke's account of this same response, at the end of Luke 4, picking up in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. And look at Luke kind of draws in more of their motivation and would have kept him from leaving them. Why must he go out? Because they want him to stay. Stay here and meet all of our needs. Be our genie. And he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. You've heard the good news. If you repent and believe, great. You are members of my kingdom. But if you don't, I must move on. I will shake the dust off my sandals and keep moving. Because other people need the good news too. Don't just keep it for yourself. Don't just be selfish. If you truly love Christ, you want as many people to hear the good news as possible. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Mark picks up on the same detail here. The gospel proclamation is what was primary for Jesus. It was his purpose. Is it any less important today? The great text in Romans chapter 10 explains this. Nothing has changed. This is primary to Jesus. This is primary for us. If you have your Bibles, turn in Roman, to Romans chapter 10. And if you don't know where it is in your Bibles, just if you're in Luke, keep going uh, three more books to the right. This is why we preach every week. This is why you should know the gospel so that you are able to proclaim it and explain it to those who ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Why is this so important? Why did Jesus say, this is my purpose? Why did Jesus not stay in the one town and become their personal hero? Verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is going to heal many people. In Greek, the word heal and save is the same. But it is not the healing of the physical that is most important. It is the healing of the broken spiritual, the separation from God that is most important. We're going to keep going. Verse 14, how then will they call? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. I feel this weight every week because if Jesus said, this is my purpose, this is why I came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, how could I not? How could we ever shy away from it? He came to proclaim the kingdom and go to the cross and die that we might be members of that kingdom and how dare we ever be ashamed of it? And Jesus proclaimed it boldly. He was not subversive. He wasn't whispering in dark corners. He went to the synagogues. 
The synagogue is the place where every Jew male would be required to meet on the Sabbath, and every Gentile convert, and even if you were Gentile and you were just interested, this is where you went to find out. This is where everyone went to learn about the tenets of Israel, and this is where Jesus started. This is where Paul and the the apostles started. This is where Apollos started. They went to the synagogues. Because these are the people who have the word of God. They should be the first ones. If you want a memory verse, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. This is what Jesus did. I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. Going to the Jew first because it is the power of salvation. I start in the synagogues. And there's one more important detail that we wouldn't know if we weren't there. But every synagogue intentionally faced Jerusalem. Every time Jesus went from synagogue to synagogue, he is looking Calvary in the face. He is preaching with the cross in mind. I am telling you, repent and believe because there will be a moment when I won't be here to remind you anymore. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be in Jerusalem and you will turn me over to be crucified. But it is only through faith in me that you will live. I would love to be in those preaching sessions in the synagogues where Jesus opens the Old Testament scrolls and reveals himself to the hearers. Praise God that He sent His Spirit that we might see Christ in the Scriptures. Amen. So there's an application for this section. We see an example of Jesus' private ministry between Him and the Father and His public ministry. And you see that they're in complete agreement. His prayer and His proclamation are in complete agreement. He is to do the will of the Father. And he has this great intimacy with the Father. And he has great intimacy with people. He spent appropriate time with the Father and he spent appropriate time with those who needed to hear the gospel. Either to believe and repent or to be left without excuse. He was neither a monk who removed everyone from himself and just entered into his own thoughts. And he was not a social justice warrior like some people make him out to be who was just out there to solve the world's problems. He had a complete balance between inward and outward. And so as we think about that, how can we expect fruitfulness in our Christian lives if there is not harmony between our inward and our outward? So think about it. What good is praying in time in prayer if you never leave the desolate places of your own mind? What good is working your fingers to the bone and trying to do all of this good, yet you have no dependence and communion with the Father? We must have a balance of both as Jesus did. We must know our reliance on the Father and go before Him in all things, passionately and fervently and frequently. And if we know who our Father is, that He completely supplies all of our needs, how could we not go out and share what He has done? How could we not be witnesses of the gospel that has transformed us? How could we not talk about the one that we pray to? 
And every one of us is guilty of this to one regard or the other. We're either too busy being busy bodies, we don't take enough time to rest in the Lord, or we're too fearful of man that we can spend time in our own thoughts, but never come off of our own lips. We must depend on the Lord and act on our confidence in Him. So that's our first section. Second section. Uh, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, and said to him. All right, so before we go any further, if you've read the Gospels before, if you're familiar with the Bible, they talk about leprosy. Now, we assume, yeah, leprosy's bad. Okay, move on. You don't understand how bad it is. And so I, I kind of want to paint a picture here. Um, he's like, oh, another man with, with leprosy, big deal. This is a very prevalent and serious problem. Now, not even among the Jewish culture, this was the worst disease of the time. Leprosy works at a cellular level and begins to deteriorate every part of your body. Your organs, your blood, your skin, your hair, your, your bones, it starts to scab up and your, your flesh starts to be on the outside. When they speak of it in, in, in Leviticus, if you can see open flesh, it's not a good thing. Your hair turns white and it falls off pretty soon. Your, your, your nose, your fingers, your toes, your feet will fall off. Josephus describes lepers as walking corpses. They would be, they would, they were required to remain 50 feet away. And they had to shout. This will be on the screen. Look at Leviticus 13. When This is how lepers are instructed to live. The leprous person, now if you want to know more about leprosy, all of chapter 13, and it's not a short chapter, is about leprosy. And what, how to determine a leprous person in describing everything. A leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. This is their version of a mask. He's covering his upper lip so that he would not breathe on anyone. And he had to shout unclean so that no one would even come near him. Next verse. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. You shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Every aspect of your life is affected by this disease. You lose your job. You lose your family. You lose your, your home. You lose your status in the community. This is a leper of society. It's where the, the term comes from. And this is no light affliction. And look how he approaches Jesus. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling and said to him, he's on his knees, begging him, imploring him, with a simple, profound response. Or excuse me, Question statement, whatever it is. If you will, you can make me clean. If you will. He wisely submits to the will of the Lord. He doesn't question whether he's able or not. If you will, you can make me clean. He knows he can. He knows that he's, that he's able. But this is important. He knows he doesn't just need healing. He needs cleansing. These are, these are two different things in Hebrew society. You could be healed, but he's still unclean. 
This, that is what's worse. If you are ceremonially unclean, you cannot go before the Lord. You cannot go before any people. He needs healing and he needs cleansing. And in this simple statement, if you will, you can make me clean. There is humility and there is wisdom and there is faith in a simple statement. This guy's had a rough go of it. But don't pity him. Why do I say that? Because it is better to be a leper with wisdom and conviction of your own uncleanliness than to be in perfect health and to be ignorant of your need for healing. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. This is about as vulgar as it gets in the Hebrew. This is a menstrual rag. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like wind take us away. If you think any less of your own sin than something to be discarded, completely unclean, then you don't understand your need for the Lord. This man understood it. Only a leper can truly understand what it means to have a death sentence that separates you from the people of God. And you have felt separated from the blessings of God your entire life. And this is us, ladies and gentlemen. We are all lepers before Christ. We all have a death sentence. We all have no part to the people of God. We are all unclean. We cannot approach Him in and of ourselves. And just like leprosy, our skin our sin is not content to stick with one cell in our body. It wants everything. It wants to eat us from the inside out. It wants to destroy us, and it will. But there's a simple response. I know that you are able. If you will, you can make me clean. That is all it takes for the repentant sinner to say, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, how does he respond? Moved with pity. Now, I told you don't pity him. Jesus can pity him. You can't. Um, but this is a little misleading. This word in the Hebrew, it means to have compassion with anger. Jesus is not happy about sin and his defilement. Jesus is angry that this man is suffering. He feels compassion for his own who are hurting. This is how he approaches him. Not to pity this man, but his heart goes out to him as a man who has faith and, and responds appropriately. He has compassion. This man has suffered his entire life until meeting Jesus. So often we ask, Lord, why is this going on? Why is this still persisting? Why have you not answered my prayer? If his entire life of leprosy led to the moment where he gets to meet Jesus face to face, It's, it's all in the past. But God's timing is perfect. We are impatient. We want things to be, to be tied up in a nice, nice, neat bow right away. His entire life he was suffering. It's no different than us. There are seasons where we are suffering. There are things we are going through that we don't understand. It is not in our timing. It's not what we would plan for ourselves. 
But when Jesus comes, it is always the right time. And it is always, as we see in the next moment, move with pity. He stretches out his hand, touches him, and says, I will be clean. That is a powerful statement. But you know what the most powerful statement is that it is in this account? He reaches out and he touches him. He touched the most unclean person in that society. No one else gets within 50 feet. Jesus shows his compassion by putting his hand on him. This man had not felt the warmth of another human touch in years. And Jesus confirms his, his words by putting his hand on him. And simply responds, I will be clean. He commands what is in this man. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. Notice, Jesus' work is twofold. The leprosy left him. There's healing. And he was cleansing. And there's cleansing. The song, Rock of Ages, gives us a great line. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. The double cure here is taking on our infirmities. He took on this man's leprosy. He healed him. Took away what made him defiled, but also made him pure. Cleansed him. Brought him into right standing. This is what Jesus Christ does for those who put their faith in him. He removes their sin from them. He gives them his righteousness. They are no longer deficient. They, now they have a surplus because his righteousness sits on them. He healed and he was cleansed. Saved from wrath and made pure. This is the beautiful healing work of the gospel. This is why the gospel message is so important. Because healing alone is not enough. Jesus says, so what if you go to hell with your entire body intact? You need to be cleansed because your sin has offended God. Yes. But in order to be with him, you must be righteous. You must be declared before God to be righteous, and you must be given a righteousness that you do not possess. This man could not heal himself, and he could not purify himself. I'm going to show you in a moment how difficult it was to purify himself by the law of Moses. Jesus did it in a moment. He healed him, and he made him pure. This is how our God saves. Immediately and completely. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. He bears our iniquity, and he bestows his purity. Now in our final section here, or the second half of this second section, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. This, this word sternly charged, it's a funny word in the Greek. It, it, the, the, the root comes from uh, a horse snorting. Like, you know, a, a horse that's not really happy about you doing something and doesn't know how to express it. Not that Jesus can't express himself, but this is the, the, the sense here. He sternly warns him. See that you say nothing to anyone. This is an extreme double negative. Say nothing to no one. Because his hour had not yet come. And remember, he's not a magician. His miracles are not the focus. I have more preaching to do. The preaching is more important than what has just happened to you. 
And he gives him instruction. Go. Show yourself and offer for cleansing what Moses has required. Now Jesus came to, came to complete the law, fulfill it all. So he would make sure that not one bit of the law was not completed. What law are we talking about? Um, I want to just give you a glimpse. Again, Leviticus 13 tells you all about leprosy. Leviticus 14 is how you get cleansed from leprosy. And it's just as long. So I want to read you 1 through 7. What does it mean to go and do everything that Moses required? Now remember, if Jesus healed him and made him clean immediately, and then he had to follow through what Moses required, there was a lot. There'd be a great reminder. I'm just going to give you the first week in the life of a leper. This is chapter 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Remember, he can't even step inside until he gets confirmed by the priest. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed and the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take, him, take for him, who is to be cleansed, two live clean birds and cedarwood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedarwood, cedarwood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip the, the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him is, who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be clean, cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp but live outside it Ten days, his ten, seven days, excuse me. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all the hair of, of his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and, clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. That's week one. Then there's an eighth day ritual. And then you've got to go through his whole house and cleanse every item that is in his house. Jesus does that in a moment. But still wants to make sure that every jot and tittle of the law of Moses is is fulfilled. And so he was to go and do that. But our friend here, the leprous man, like many of us who get so excited about what the Lord has done in us, we're so excited we don't listen. Jesus strongly charged him. But, verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it. The word talk freely here, same word for preach. He went out and began to preach about it. He, he proclaimed it. Jesus said, be silent, but he proclaimed it. I mean, it is kind of hard to blame him. He is one of the most ostracized and, and, undefi- and you know, defiled people in society. And so, yeah, you, you kind of get, you'd want to tell everyone. But the same man who submits to Jesus' authority to heal and save does not submit to his commands for obedience. Sound familiar? We say, yeah, Jesus, Jesus saved me. Jesus healed me. But how often do we miss and not obey simple commands? This great lesson for zeal without discernment. It is a good thing to be excited about what Jesus has done in your life. But many act without discernment and go off and say things that they shouldn't say, and say things that are unfounded, or even if it is a good thing, timing and wisdom and how we apply that, 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 that timing is, or excuse me, those, those words is very important. 
so he put his celebration above Jesus' commands. And there were consequences for that. So Jesus, after he does this, Jesus could no longer enter openly in a town, but was out in desolate places. So he's, fast, he's forced out into desolate places again, and the people were coming to him from every quarter, meaning from all four directions. From everywhere, people are coming to him. And so now notice these two have switched spots. Because he doesn't obey Jesus, the man who is now ostracized and out in, in desolate places and cannot come into fellowship with the people tells what Jesus doesn't want him to tell, and now Jesus is banished or forced out because all the people are coming to him to make, them, to make him king and to get what they want. And so this is reversed. But I love, again, so we're reading all the Gospels as helpful. Because if you look at Luke, Luke adds one additional detail that brings us full circle, and this is where we will end. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So after cleansing the leper, and, you know, he is sent out into the desolate places. But look what Jesus does with it. Luke 5, 16. But he would withdraw to the desolate places and pray. We end where we begin. The beginning of Jesus' day, waking up early and going to pray. The end of Jesus' day, after healing again, after being swarmed by the people, finds a desolate place to pray. What a beautiful circle of another day in the life of Jesus. So I want to leave you just with a couple quick questions. But I want you to think about these. What is the priority of prayer in your life? Are you dependent on the Father? Is he, wa- is he worth waking up early for? Do you, like the leper, know how unclean you really are? And do you know that your only hope for healing and cleansing comes from the one who is able to do, the one who is able to heal and able to make clean? And if you are in Christ, do you know that that is what he has done for you? And if you are not, you are no different than the leper. Oh, I forgot the second one. Um, can't forget the gospel. If I just told you all for the last 50 minutes not to forget the gospel. Um, do you know the importance of the gospel? The importance that Jesus placed on proclaiming the gospel. Do we place the same importance on the good news of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God in our midst? The good news that there is healing and restoration and salvation in Him alone. And then to end where we began, is there harmony in your private and public life? Are you one person before God and another before man? Because there is nothing that is hidden from God. So I hope that as we look into the life of Jesus to kind of end on a somber note. Um, And we should. There should be times of examination and self-reflection. But 
for those of us who are in Christ. He has healed you. He has cleansed you. And unlike the leprous man, you are given full command to go out and tell everyone to celebrate and rejoice what Jesus Christ has done. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that your word so beautifully articulates your love for sinners, our need for a Savior, our brokenness, but also shows us the humility of our Savior, our need for prayer, our need for dependence on our Father, our need for the work of our Savior. Lord, let us look to Him. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot work through this Christian life without Your power, without Your Spirit. We need You. Teach us to cry out to You in prayer. Give us a yearning to go before You. Give us boldness that Your name would ever be on our lips. That we would petition people to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Because salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is the hearing of the gospel that turns dead men to life. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.